I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday. What a crazy game. A referee-centric game. An absolute insane amount of reviews went down. The Celtics were up big. Let that lead slip in the fourth quarter, just like they did against Atlanta. I'm joined by Chris True, who covers the Pelicans. He also does a bit of work for NBA.com, Dime Up Rocks. Me and Chris have podcasted a few times together, so it made sense to bring Chris on here. Chris, before we get started, you just dropped a new book, right? Yeah, so my book is called Behind the Bench. It's stories sitting behind the visitors' bench at Pelicans games. So for a couple of years, I sat right behind the visitors. So my book is just a running journal of all the interactions I have with players. It's on Amazon right now. You can grab it right this second, y'all. And to be quite honest with you, if you was at the game today and you were sitting behind the visitors' bench, you would have had some crazy stories. Because the way this refereeing went down, and I generally like um, I avoid speaking about referee decisions, um, just because I always find it to be a bit of a scapegoat. But for both teams, both it went both ways. It wasn't just against the Celtics. This was um, one of the more poorly refereed games I think I've seen in a very, very long time. Yeah, it was wild. And if I would have been at this game in my old seat, I think I would have gotten tossed out right around the time JJ Reddit got tossed out. So it was it was a bizarrely officiated game. It's hard to believe what I just witnessed. I know every fan base thinks this, but for the Pelicans to be on the side that they were on tonight, it feels like that never happens to us. But here I am already sounding like every fan of every team. But it really does seem like how did the Pelicans pull this off? This doesn't really happen to us. So I've kept a close eye on the Pelicans this year. I wouldn't say, like, intensely. Like, I've watched, you know, coming up to 10 games, probably. Um, so a fair chunk when I'm trying to keep up with other teams around the league. One of the things that you guys have been working on a lot, and it's been a point of focus, is developing Zion as that point-forward guy. Um, you saw it more in the second half, and that was when everything started working for you, like, right? Like, Zion was playing off-ball a little bit in the first half, couldn't get going. You put the ball in his hands, and the entire narrative just flips. Absolutely. I love Point Zion. It's so much fun. It feels like it's the smartest way to play New Orleans basketball. I think the Pelicans, myself included, underestimated Brad Stevens in the first half because I thought Zion was going to have a great game. And then when I watched the way they were defending him, just collapsing on him every time he touched the ball, I just thought, oh my God, this is this is not a fun national TV showcase of our guy, Zion Williamson. All hail Brad Stevens. Good for y'all. Uh, I think he was one for four, one for five in the first half, had four points. This did not look like Zion. So, of course, I was thrilled when we, you know, win or loss, I was thrilled with the way they were uh, having him carry up the ball in the second half, for sure. The Celtics done everything good that the Celtics did was done in the first half and then the beginning of the third quarter. And then everything good that the Pelicans did was midway through the third, all the way through the rest of the game, right? So it was very much a, we'll show what we can do, you show what you can do. What was it that the Celtics were doing at the beginning of the game that had you concerned? Well, it was all about the way they were digging up Williamson. It was, he just did not look like himself. And it looked like he wasn't even, it was as if he succumbed to it, like, 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 you know, it's hard to imagine being in the in the head of, of one of these young super duper stars, but it was almost as if he's been on such a roll lately. It was like the way he was being defended, he was so not used to that that he almost was just resigned to having a bad game. So 
that was the thing that I noticed in the beginning that was like, oh, he just seems just less into this. <laughs> and then when your superstar is less into it, I mean, I, of course, it's all perception. It, it you know, it, it, it kind of trickles down to the rest of the team. And it feels like, oh, is this going to be one of those games that we just lose? And it certainly felt like that for most of the game. And then Tatum gets hot, right? Like second quarter, Tatum starts to get things going. Everything's falling for him. Uh, my perspective, I'm like, this game's going to be a blowout. But I also know that the Celtics' second half defense is very low, uh, like ranking in the league. It's like a ridiculous. It's bottom bottom ten for both quarters. How did you feel once Tatum started getting it working? Dude, shout out to Doris Burke who was on the call for ABC because sometime in the second quarter. She said, you know, they were they were referencing his cold start, and then there was a bad foul on him, just like a bad foul. And then he got he got to hit a couple of free throws. And Doris Burke was like, Jason Tatum is not the kind of player that you want to uh, uh, hit a couple of free throws on a bad foul because now he's going to remember what it's like to hit shots. He's going to get back into his groove. And homegirl absolutely nailed the call she dunked on all of us in that moment that's exactly what happened tatum got so damn hot and he never cooled off uh sending the game to overtime obviously and just did his thing we had no answer for him it was a i'll tell you as a pelicans fan and looking at our team in the uh in the short-term future it was uh it, it was startling to see how much better jason tatum probably is than brandon ingram I mean, Brandon Ingram's shown loads of improvements, but Tatum just has a way about him, right? Like, he shoulders the responsibilities of leading a franchise. So that forces development more than what than what um, Ingram's probably had to go through because he's had Zion with him for most, uh, since he got into New Orleans. He's had Lonzo Ball with him to kind of share that responsibility. And a key point is Lonzo Ball, right? Like, his three-point percentage is up through the roof. He's reworked that release. Um, I know they were speaking about that on the call as well. And he just looks so calm in possession. And the way he fires them passes around, I know there's been a section of Celtics fans that have shown interest in maybe trading for Lonzo. What's your take? You see him game in, game out. You obviously speak to people around the, the organization. Is he here for the, is he there for the long term or is he available? I think dude is available and he's being showcased in a really strong way right now. I think some of it is his, um, his, his feeling of, um, of like not wanting to be a trade chip. You know, he, he I, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's damaging to the ego. Uh, all, you know, it all makes sense that that's not a judgment on him, but I think dude has come out in a way and has been a lot more aggressive and controlled and a much more interesting player recently so for the teams that are possibly interested in trading for alonzo i think his work the past couple of games is uh is just making you want him even more but it's also his value obviously is going up because that's the way that works and that's the thing right like because you guys have got such um, a deep guard rotation you've got Nikhil alexander walker um kyra lewis who i was absolutely besotted with in the draft Eric Bledsoe, um, JJ Reddick fits into that rotation, Lonzo Ball. It's just so stacked right now that is that hindering what you guys are doing? Is it hindering developmental minutes? Because we didn't see too much of um, Kyra. I think the, the, the guy that we're most excited about is Kara Lewis Jr. Like we love Lewis. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's from two states over. He played college ball at Alabama. We love how fast he is. He just, 
we want him to succeed so bad. And I think you ask a lot of Pelicans fans, you were outside the Smoothie King Center right in this moment. If you asked 100 fans right now, you're like, what, what would you rather like, – like scenario one is we trade Lonzo Ball and Lewis gets a ton more minutes. Scenario two is you don't trade Lonzo Ball and then we don't know who Kira Lewis Jr. is all about. So we don't know what he's all about yet. I think you're going to get way more people picking option one, option A. I think I think that the, the thought here is uh, Lonzo is not a good long-term fit. Uh, Lewis might be, he's young. We don't have to pay him a ton of money quite yet. We might be able to get some draft capital and for Lonzo. And then what you're going to do, I think is package, whatever draft capital you get for Lonzo, all the other draft capital we have from Milwaukee and Los Angeles, JJ Redick. And then you make your, you make your big move for the third guy. That's what I, that, that's, that's the fantasy. Because the, the game plans changed now, right? Since Stan Van Goody, because when you had Alvin Gentry, you were using Lonzo Ball as the the quarterback, essentially, right? He was throwing those pitch passes. He was getting Zion in transition, and that was the game plan under Gentry. Now that Zion's more of a point forward guy, you're asking Lonzo to play off ball more, so you're limiting his offensive output in a sense. Like he's not going to be distributing as much. He's not going to be probing as much. So how are you guys kind of adjusting to that and still shopping him in the shop window? Because his numbers look great. So what's been the tweaks to allow Lonzo to still thrive without the ball in his hand? Well, I know dude has worked heavily on his shooting stroke. And I know that there, there's a big joke on the on the Pelicans team right now where it's like whenever Lonzo hits a three, there's a couple other guys too, obviously, but it's mostly Lonzo, that everyone is like cheering for Fred Vinson, who is the shooting coach. So like the Pelicans players are like, good job, Fred. I think that's what they say. Whenever Lonzo hits a jumper, they go, you know, good job, Fred. So uh, that's one way, you know, is, is, is his hardcore work ethic. Um, I think it's a hardcore work ethic. It seems like it is with his, uh, with his shot. But to me, it, it's, it's really all about, um, I, I think, just thinking short term in the, in the future, thinking like a year or two from now. And I don't think this team wants to pay Lonzo Ball all that money. And I think his, I think perception for his value is kind of uh, it's built in uh, higher than it should be because he was a second overall pick and because the media machine loves the balls and I think because of all that it's like it seems like he's going to command some some uh, some some quality return pieces but I'm not sure I'm not sure that he is uh, I guess it's a we'll wait and see if I had to guess if I had to guess I think I think they're going to unload him in like a risky way and just uh because they want to they want to get off the they, they don't want to lose him for nothing and they want to like get started on the next era of Pelicans basketball and I don't think it's going to include Lonzo Ball. Getting back to the game a little bit. Um you guys were running a lot with Nico Melli at the uh, at the four, right? So was that for spacing? Was you how how do you do you usually run with Melli out there with those guys? Well, that was because JJ got tossed. Yeah, uh, that's what that's what I I think. Uh, he hasn't been playing as much, but without Redick there, uh, we didn't have any floor spacing, and so Melly got to get in there and uh, toss a couple balls up at the rim. And he uh, he, he I know he hit one big shot, and it looked good. And Dude was kind of aggressive on the boards um, a couple times. So good good for Melly. We like Melly down here. I like I like having a nice. A nice European deep threat on our uh, on a New Orleans basketball team. You know, I miss I miss the days of uh, you know Stojakovic or um, uh, damn uh, B- 
Bill and Nelly, you know, I miss, I miss those days. And, uh, and Nelly fills that hole. So you guys close this gap. You, um, you're down by, what is it, 24? Um, you fight back, um, clawing your way all the way back into the game. You put on a great performance down the stretch, and you do it all without Stephen Adams, right? So a lot of this has to go on the Celtics for their ineptitude to close the game out, and their t- they basically went cold on offense, but it also seeped into their defense. They were really poor, especially off-ball defensively for that stretch. Would you have ever been in that position where you were down that many with Stephen Adams on the floor? How's he done for you? How much was he uh, factoring the slow start that you guys had? Well, I think the offensive rebounding would have been vastly improved uh, had Adams been in the game. I believe he averages four offensive boards a game. Not to mention he, you know, he absorbs he absorbs a big body on the other side, freeing up Zion to do his thing. And I think Stephen Adams not being in this game was a big reason why Zion, plus Brad Stevens not taking anything away from the Celtics was a big reason why Zion was a um, was like level one Zion for the first half of this game before becoming, you know, level eight or nine Zion in the second half. Should start calling him Super Zion. Yeah. Um, it, I tried to make a Dragon Ball Z reference, but I didn't enunciate correctly. Well, um, I, unfortunately, I wouldn't have grabbed it. I'm not a Dragon Ball Z guy, so I do apologize. But if you, oh, want, to okay. make, if you want to make an old New Orleans sports reference, um, I can help you out there. I'm wearing my New Orleans Pelicans baseball hat from way back in the day, because if you notice... The ABC broadcast was giving a shout out to the old New Orleans Pelicans minor league baseball team, which I've never seen a national NBA broadcast do that. They were giving a, I'm not sure if he's caught that, but they were talking about the New Orleans Pelicans minor league baseball team from like the 1900s. So I'm wearing that hat to represent on your show tonight. That's awesome. No, I didn't catch that. It might have been at a time where I was shouting furiously at the TV. Or um, tweeting furiously, depending on what point it was, uh, either very happily or very furiously. What's got me mostly is, and I just can't get over the the abject failure of the Celtics to close this game out. Where did you see? When was it that you pinpointed the the, the shift in momentum? At what point was you like, we're making this run, and we're going to be back in this body by the beginning of the fourth? I don't remember the exact moment, but I think it was when Zion started getting some calls. And I, you know, I, I, I'm trying to remove, remove my deep, my deep lifelong love of New Orleans basketball um, for the parts of my life where it existed, um, and taking my own fandom out of it. But I do think that this game felt different from a lot of recent games. Zion was not getting very many calls. I know there was good defense played against them, but Dude was not getting any superstar calls, which he typically gets. And he started getting a couple of them in the third quarter there. And I think that that lifted the whole team up. And then, you know, that happens. And then Josh Hart hits a three. And then there's a big defensive stop, which we haven't seen a defensive presence like that from the Pelicans all season. So I think, you know, it, it trickles down. You know, you, you get you get two or three stops in a row, which I don't, which is very uncommon for New Orleans. And then suddenly, you know, you're, you know, they they have these great fast break plays, and and there's all this energy, and you look over at your bench, and stands happy, and it's like, oh my god, and there and there's more fans than ever because New Orleans just um, increased the capacity by a little bit. So I think officially today, I don't have this, I don't have this on record, but I think. Today was the most fans that have been in attendance at a uh, you know at a COVID New Orleans game. So I think that 
with the strange foul calls and with JJ getting tossed, there was a lot of energy in the building. So I think all those things together, when it started to shift, it shifted in a really big way and the Pels just rode that wave. As an outsider, as a guy that doesn't watch too much Celtics, um, because this wave kind of coincides with the, with this performance as well, in my mm-hmm. opinion. What Kemba Walker went five for twenty-one from the field. He was um really bad. Um, he's been getting better since he came back from his knee injury, but this was one of the worst performances. And the, the thing with Kemba is he's got a mantra of if it's not falling, just keep shooting. And sometimes you want him to just stop shooting. What was your um? What was your take on Kemba's performance? Was it what you was expecting or was you shocked to see that that low level of play from him? Yeah, so admittedly, have not watched a lot of Kemba Walker play basketball and had not watched a lot of Celtics this year, but I, I, I know what he's about. I understand the kind of player he is. And um, I, I, but I was not expecting this poor of a shooting performance and to be so, to have such a short term memory. Um, especially when you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on your team. That seems like it's a bad idea. Also, I have a question for you about, about Kimba Walker. I know the dude is a chill, sweet, like kind, fun man. Like he got always got a big smile on his face. But it would drive me absolutely crazy to see a player shoot that terribly and be smiling and laughing so much during dead balls. Like how many times did he turn the ball over and then and then walking back on defense was like had a big grin on his face just like not just like a like a smiling like oh man i know i messed up smiling like i'm about to ride a ferris wheel <laughs> smiling like someone just like gave him a free dessert you know dude was like i'm having a great time which i'm sure they are it, it's a fun job and they love what they do and they're all very talented but Dude just seemed to be not only okay with having a bad night, downright pleased to be shooting so terribly. How does that feel to watch that? That would drive me crazy, Adam. Um, to be honest with you, last season when it was kind of the the Kyrie recovery year, when we were all in rehab from the bad taste that Kyrie left, um, it was a breath of fresh air, right? This year... Kemba's been poor and that smile is kind of okay with me personally because I'm like this is a locker room guy um he's a glue guy in terms of he brings good vibes he's encouraging everybody else but at the same time like there there does seem when you're smiling and you as you put you're in carnival mode and there's just such a lackadaisical effort across the board I'd like to see a little bit more fire right I want to see I want to see someone chew him out and I want to see him choose someone else out when there's bad possessions. Because at the moment, everybody looks like it's... um. You know, like when children play a sport and say it's soccer and they get the participation medals, right? Everybody's getting that pat on the back, no matter whether you play well, whether you play bad. That seems like that's what's happening in the Celtics locker room. Everyone's like, well, you didn't play well, but it's okay. We'll get them next time. And... um. Kemba kind of embodies that for me a little bit. So it does it does great on me a little bit, but not enough to really drive me nuts. Yeah, and I see the value in people like that. You know, I'm I'm not over here thinking everyone has to be all business and smiles are bad. Like that that's not my thing. You know, I'm a you know, I'm I'm a fun guy. I like have you know, I I, I get it. I'm down. But there was just something about it tonight, something about how often he was just grinning so hard. It was like he was it was like he was still playing 
for the Hornets, and it was like, and it was the All Star game when it was in Charlotte, and he was like, "I'm an I'm the ambassador for my city. I'm having a great time," and everyone's just like, "Look at Kemba being a great community leader." It was as if he was doing an exhibition game where there was like celebrities at courtside, and he was just like having a time of his life. But in reality, the Celtics were giving up a massive lead. I'm not sure if you caught this, but it was the biggest comeback in the history of Pelicans basketball. It's a short history, I know, but it's still the greatest comeback we've ever had. Never had a, never came back from 24 down halfway through the third. So uh, kudos to the Pels for the hustle and to the coaching for sure. Yeah, kudos. I mean, that's a big, it's a big feat whether or not it's the first time, the second or the third, coming back from 24 down to winning overtime. Um, that shows some grit and some toughness and some development from what is a young roster with you guys. Another guy that didn't perform, I mean, he got the assist. He was spraying it around, got nine assists, but his shooting totals weren't where they should be, especially not for a guy that's expecting to be named as an all-star next week, um, which is Jalen Brown. Went seven for 23 from the field. They did get nine assists, got six rebounds, but that was just another guy where things weren't falling for him and he continued to shoot. And this is what the Celtics issue is, right? Um, as you probably noticed, they go isolation a lot when they, when their backs are against the wall. Instead of sticking to the game plan that they come into the matchup with, they just revert back to a, a hero ball, my turn, your turn, high pick and roll offense that is very much predicated on either Tatum or Brown finding a jump shot wherever they please. You guys defended that really well, and you guys defended Tatum really well, and Josh Hart had a lot to do with that. His um his energy, his defensive um intuition was fantastic, especially when he was put alongside Lanza. Is that new? Is that something that you've had all year? Is that something you expected to have the level of impact as what it did? J- Josh Hart is well on his way to becoming a New Orleans folk hero legend status. Like we, he's the kind of guy. I, every team wants to have like should have a Josh Hart. You know, like like. The kind of guy who's not going to command a ton of attention media-wise, but he's going to do a lot of the dirty work, do some hustle plays. He'll hit open shots. And he has some. He has a personality. You know, has you know has has fun with it. Not always smiling like uh like Kemba, but it, but is having fun on the court. You know, and, and Josh Hart is is I think for a lot of people he's probably a lot of people's third favorite Pelican. Uh, and he might be some people's second favorites, only behind Zion. I think he's just getting into the skin uh, and the hearts, I should say, getting to the hearts of New Orleanians and Pelicans fans all over the world. He's he's um, a ton of fun, and it was and it feels good as a fan of Josh Hart and a diehard fan of this team. It felt good that we can trace some of the success tonight to his defensive intensity. Um, I, I, I bet the videos of him guarding Tatum are going to be shown when other players, when other teams are playing the Celtics. Like, like didn't stop them entirely. This is not like a clinic on how to stop Jason Tatum, but this is um, he, someone did a really good job on defending Tatum. They made they made life hard on him, and uh, so yeah, shout out to Josh Hart for sure. I hope he I hope he plays in New Orleans for so long that I'm going to like whatever restaurant he opens in ten years after he retires, or I'm buying a used car from him or something. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, Stay some crazy after, Hart. some crazy after career um new career. Marcus Smart was um is Boston's version of what you've just uh, described Josh Hart as, and obviously he didn't play in this game. I'm not saying that if he did, 
that lead wouldn't have evaporated. But I think there would have been a little bit more of um, an urgency behind the team with Marcus Smart in there. Josh Hart probably would have had to go up against Smart and maybe they would have nullified each other's impacts. Or, But there was definitely some some paradigm shifts once Josh Hart really got going. And you guys, um, because the Celtics like that pick and roll, you guys were hedging great. You were doing um, you were doing like a, sh- a shallow hedge and recovery a lot with Zion. So he'd, he'd hedge out on the guy and then just sprint back to the roll there. And uh, that worked fantastic. You, cu- you stopped so many lob threats and so many... Um, High low entry passes with that that system, and I know that Van Gundy has always been like a, a high level defensive coach. But have you seen that kind of um, cancelling the screen, shallow hedge and recover system all through the season, or is that something that was um, drawn up specifically to try and keep Tatum and Brown at bay? Yeah, it, it felt. I, I haven't seen a bunch of that type of defense all season. It, it felt like Stan is finally getting through to you know, or, or getting his time to shine defensively because he has not been impressive uh, defensively. That that's been our number one issue. We we've been the ones giving up large leads. Um, yeah, I saw something on Twitter recently. I, I'm gonna maybe get the details mixed up. But it was like there was like seven games in a row where the Pelicans were leading by double digits at various times in the fourth quarter, and we lost every single one of those games. So um, something, some sort of switch got flipped tonight. And the only differences that I can see in this game and other games is um, is playing against a high level, a high level, highly respected, intelligent coach. Maybe Stan was like getting up for it. Maybe there's some underground beef um, or competitiveness with him and Stevens. Um, also, I think that, um, you know, I, I don't like saying that, like, oh, it was a national TV game, so they stepped it up. I don't think, I feel like these are professionals and they don't really do that, but I could be wrong. It could be the fans, the energy in the building, but again, they're professionals. They've been playing with no fans for so long now, it feels like it's, that shouldn't matter. But I don't know, man, something was different tonight. Something felt different. And honestly, I think a lot of, I mean, very happy to get the win. Um, it gets us one step closer to <laughs> You know, to losing against the uh, Trailblazers in a play-in game or something in a few months, um, but which is for sure our destiny at least this season. But I think a lot of us would have just the comeback itself. If we would have lost in overtime, it would have been disappointing. But I would still be as happy as I am right now. I'd be like, well, I haven't seen the team play this hard or play this way all season. It seems so. That's a that's a big win. It feels like two wins. They actually they actually won and they played defense. <laughs> for the Celtics, it feels like a three or four losses, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. It's um it's the same old story right now, and I know a lot of people are um on Brad Stevens' case for a uh, lack of adjustments, lack of intensity on the sideline. Uh the one I saw Keith Smith tweet this out saying that and I'm saying this because I know there'll be people listening that feel Brad's needs to either go or change his coaching philosophy. But as Steve Smith, um, Keith Smith said, you can shout at guys all you want, but you, a coach cannot force a team to pick up the pace. They cannot force a team to dictate the pace of a game. And the Celtics, as their shots stopped falling, they started walking the ball up, right? So at, New Orleans were playing with such a high pace during that second half of the game that every time they got the ball, they pushed the action. Every time Boston got the ball, they dawdled. They took 10 seconds to get into a set, and now they've only got 14 left to actually execute. I can't blame Brad Stevens for that, but what I will say is that I do blame Brad Stevens for the lack of creativity on those half-court sets. There's been a lot of... um, Well, sorry, there's been a lack of creativity. We don't see many 
ghost screens being run. We don't see too many um, elbow sets being played. What did you see from the Celtics when they when they went cold in the third and the fourth that really took you by surprise? Was there anything where you were like, I did not expect them to be this bad at? Ooh, good question. I think it was, um, I mean, the ball wasn't moving as much. It, it didn't seem. Um, and and it, it was a lot of like taking turns, like you mentioned earlier, with, with Tatum and Brown. And I like both those guys a lot. I hope to one day root for a duo that, 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 that feels like rooting, what I think rooting for Brown and Tatum is like. But it, it, it didn't seem like they were teammates who knew each other really well tonight which I know is not true. Like that's one of their strengths. And so I don't know if the, if the Pelicans had anything to do with that or if it was the luck of the draw. I don't, I don't know. You know, there's so many NBA games in the season. It's hard to really pinpoint and say like this one thing happened and that's why, and that's why the results were what they were, but something did seem off. And, you know, there's not a lot of history between uh, New Orleans and Boston it, when it comes to NBA games. Like we've never crossed each other in like a really big way. Obviously no postseason. I guess, I guess if you go way back with like when we were the Hornets, there was, a, there was a postseason series here, but that doesn't really count. Cause that's, that's Charlotte's history now. Right. There's no real history here. So for us, it's like, we don't get to see Brown and Tatum in New Orleans very often. So it was a weird, you know, for the the most casual of NBA fans who are hearing about how good these guys are, I think that they're leaving the game today. They're they're driving home, you know, they're on their way back to uptown New Orleans right now after leaving the arena and they're like they're like what's the big deal with Jalen Brown? <laughs> like what what's the big deal with him? And I think it's it's like I don't know. Do I mean I, I know what the big deal is, but I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened tonight. Do you think it was a certain defender on him? Do you think it was a state of mind? What do you think it was? Honestly, it's been happening for so many games now, um, on and off through the season, that there's I'm not too sure. And it always seems to be when they come out of the locker room. Something changes during that halftime, uh, that when they come out of the locker room, everything goes downhill. It's Most teams go in at halftime and come out better, right? They execute at a higher level, as New Orleans did. Boston seemed to execute really good for the first two um, two quarters, go into halftime, and then we get this hero ball. Um, I'd like to say it was something that New Orleans, New Orleans did, and possibly it was. I think Josh Hart had a big part to play in your overall comeback. But in terms of Kemba, Jason, and Jalen, this has just been what we've had all year. It's either going excellently or it's going terribly, and there is no happy medium right now. Um, and I could agree people that were watching the game tonight in New Orleans is like more of a casual fan. They just follow New Orleans and maybe they wanted to watch the matinee game. Uh, they won't be impressed with what they saw from Brown. Um, maybe a little bit more with Tatum. Uh, just for a note, the Celtics are now 0-4 in matinee games this season. They do oh, not wow. like playing early. I have a question. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm prone to having really um, bizarre kind of narrative uh, fantastical like assumptions of it's it is Jalen Brown's from Atlanta, right? Yeah, he is. Yeah, and you guys were just in Atlanta. Yeah. Okay, so here's a thing I'm just throwing out into the universe. I have no source on this or anything. Is it possible that and it didn't Atlanta? I, I forgive me, but there was like Atlanta like trashed y'all, right? Like there was like a big loss. Uh, they won one, yeah, and then the Celtics won the last game. But again, they were up big and then lost that lead and had to scrap. Okay, that's what happened. Okay, I knew something had happened that was that was jarring. Perhaps I wonder if if Jalen Brown leaving his hometown, 
you know, not feeling great. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I wonder if there's something there as I reach to try and figure out, like, why did <laughs> why did dude go seven for 24, wherever it was? Why did he seem off? Um, I don't know. Was it did something go down in Atlanta? Did he hang out at the Claremont Lounge too too late in the evening? I don't know. But you know what? I hope he had a good time, whatever he did. Yeah, I mean, if he had fun, then that's all that matters. But a three-and-a-half-hour <laughs> game on a Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening for me, um, when it could have been closed out after two, two hours 20, um, the, I don't care how much fun he had at that point. It's inexcusable because uh, the rest played their part, but this was a very long game. I sat down at 8.30 p.m. my time, and um, we started recording at 11.50 p.m. my time, and that was straight after the game. So That's brutal, man. Yeah, it's... um. It was a stretch, right? I mean, how do you feel about all those calls, all those reviews? It was it was a little wild, for sure. I, I, I you know, it's I understood uh, maybe half of them, but that's still not saying that much. <laughs> you know, I under I understood why there were calls. Uh, I mean, why there were challenges, and I know that the game a game that's that tight, that's that important to these two teams. It, it just feels like you know, you you make one call. That maybe, you know, there's one call that could go either way. And then you're like, okay, we're going to review it. And then it's like, okay, well, then how do you not review this one? And it feels like, I don't know, are these refs intimidated by the coaches in a way where it's like, you know what? I don't even want to deal with this. Brad's going to send me a weird text tonight. Stan's going to send me some bad beignets to my hotel room. I'm not dealing with it. We're challenging and overturning stuff left and right. Something seemed off, but, um, but yeah, that's my best guess. Yeah, it wasn't fun. It was annoying more than anything. Sometimes I feel like the referees want to be the star of the show. Um, this was definitely that feeling. Yeah, I know there was a New Orleans Saints player, a very popular Saints running back, Alvin Kamara, who was in the building tonight, and he was tweeting out uh, stuff about the refs, and he was joking, saying, like, he doesn't play in the NBA, so he can talk about the refs on social media. <laughs> but he <laughs> he had a problem with the officiating tonight as well. And I believe at one point the announcers – Again, another shout out to Doris Burke. The announcers mentioned how how nice it was to hear fans loudly saying "refs, you suck." Not because it was nice to hear them talk about the refs, but because there was a lot of energy in the building, and particularly when some of those calls went against New Orleans. Yeah, and that's something that the Celtics haven't been accustomed to this season: is playing with fans. I'm not saying that's the reason why they played bad, because it's not. Um, but it's definitely something that adds a different. Um, environment to the game, right? Like even on the broadcast, you can hear the fans chanting and ooing and ahhing and booing. And to me, after like three, four, five, six, seven, eight months of NBA, where it's been in a bubble or in stadiums with no fans, once you start hearing that again, it's kind of surreal, and it rem and it reminds you of how quiet the games have been up until that point. So um, the atmosphere within the stadium, even though it's damp and down, must slowly be starting to improve again now. Yeah, I think that's one of the things people are curious about Utah, and if they can somehow make the playoff, like, like score. I don't think they can make the playoffs, but they can if they can score a high seed, and suddenly fans are able to go to games in Salt Lake. And if there was a fan base that would be intimidating to see uh, when you haven't been seeing fans. Some say it'd be the those weirdos in uh in Utah. So, yeah, I get it, man. It's got to it's got to it's got to throw you off. It's it's got to. I know we're I know they're professionals, but we're all humans. You know, it's those things those things matter. Those things are real. These guys aren't robots. They notice those things. 
I can tell you firsthand uh, because uh, like from the book I mentioned earlier, like I, I sat so close to these guys for three years and I can tell you for sure they hear stuff. They react to stuff. They don't always show that they hear it. They pick and choose when they want a fan to know that they heard them, but the fans hear them. And your boy, Marcus Smart, by the way, is one of my favorite people to ever sit behind. He he is so savvy at at um at responding to fans and picking which fans to respond to and and just just get into it with and he doesn't he doesn't show his hand he's a really fun player to sit behind but my point is I think that you're right that fans in the stands are going to have an effect on some of these guys especially if they are if 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 a particular team hasn't doesn't have a ton of experience with it like are fans at games in Boston at all is it zero people yeah just media that's it yeah. Okay, so yeah, so it's like I, I get it. I totally get it. It's made me. I might have to dive into how many teams the Celtics have played against with fans in the stadium and how Jalen Brown's performed while those fans are in the stadium. That's a good question. I'm going to have to look into that. If anybody's listening and wants to do the legwork for me, then let me know. You can tweet at me. I'll retweet it. I'll share it. But um, it's definitely something that's intrigued me. So I want to look into that. Guys, if you're listening and the Celtics are up against the Dallas Mavericks next, um, when you hear from me next, I will be recapping that game on the Wednesday. It might be a little bit of a later release because the game doesn't start till probably about um, 12.45 midnight coming up to 1am. So I'm most likely going to watch that in the morning and then record the podcast. It'll most likely be me solo. Chris, thank you for jumping on with me, buddy. Um, Before we go, do you want to plug where everyone can find you, where your work is? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It means a lot and good show. I appreciate you so much, my dude, and good luck the rest of the season. Um, I'm Chris True. You can find me, you know, my name at Chris True, T-R-E-W on Twitter or Instagram. I'm more I'm more farting around on the Instagram these days, but I still do some basketball stuff on Twitter. So uh, throw me a follow there. But the thing I w- most want to plug is my book. If you like basketball, you will love my book. It's called Behind the Bench funny stories sitting behind the visitors bench at Pelicans games. It's only it's ebook only. The audiobook is dropping probably in a month or two, but the ebook is out right now. I just kept a journal of all my interactions with these players and it's about things that I talked to them about. It's it's about things I overheard them saying. So it's a it's a ton of fun. It was a great era in Pelicans history when I was sitting behind the bench like this. So go and grab the book right now. It's on Amazon behind the bench funny stories sitting behind the visitors bench at Pelicans games. I'm definitely going to check that out. And guys, make sure to go follow Chris either on Instagram if you prefer the comedy side of things because Chris is a comedian by trade or on Twitter if you prefer the... To keep up, you know, I like to follow people that don't cover the Celtics because it's a way of keeping up with other teams around the league. So definitely go check out the stuff that he's doing. Um, Chris, again, thank you for jumping on. I know we've podcasted before. We'll definitely do it again in the future too as he's playing with his uh, Pelicans bobblehead. Guys, if you've enjoyed the show, please leave that five-star review. Um, if you want to write something nice, that's great. I like to read every review. If you don't want to write nothing nice, I understand. Um, and we'll be back again on Wednesday. I'll most likely be solo unless I can find somebody from stateside that wants to stay up nice and late to record with me. Um, thank you again for listening. Make sure you... Um, I've said that. All right, everybody have a good night. Good day. Good day. Bye.